So we are two weeks away from Easter Sunday, the day that Christians celebrate Jesus' resurrection victory over evil and death. And the new life and the lush green of spring are just exploding around us right now. These remind me of Easter's that we've celebrated together as a church, as Church of the Lamb. At the same time, we as individuals and as a community of Harrisonburg, Rockingham County, as a state, a nation, and a world, we're living with less certainty than most of us have ever experienced. I've spoken with a couple of you who've lost work. I spoke with the pastor of Church of the Holy Cross in Crozet just on Friday with a group of pastors also on the call. They've had their first case of coronavirus. Our, our friend and um, from our mother church, Pastor Aubrey Spears, his mother and father have been diagnosed with coronavirus. Uh, there are other things going on in all of this, other knock-on effects. Families are adjusting to children that are being taken out of school. Uh, some of you students were looking forward to the end of your last school year, and it was cut short. Others of you either work on the front lines in healthcare, or you know people who do. And the threat on your health or their health seems to grow every day. And I'm, I'm also aware that some of you haven't been personally affected by this crisis. Some of you don't feel the pressure right now. Uh, in some ways, you wonder why the reaction that's happening. But if you're tuned in at all, your heart and mind have to be pulled in this direction. You're concerned for the sick and the dying. You're also concerned for those who aren't able to work and provide for themselves. And you wonder what the long-term effects of this are going to be. This morning, I want to draw mainly from two passages that were just read to remind Christians, especially those of us at Church of the Lamb, of one thing. We're made for moments like this. Christians are made for moments like this. We don't have to force random Bible passages to fit our situation. The Bible maps on to what we're experiencing. If you follow Jesus, while this season, season is going to be hard in some way, you were still made for it. If you're not a Christian, I hope that you'll give me the chance to show you how Christians think about trials like this. And I hope that you'll ask yourself whether you have a way of making sense of moments like this yourself in a way that encourages you as a human being and then enables you to be a true human for the world in this moment. Now, the first thing I want to say is that if you are a Christian, you belong to God. If you're a Christian, you belong to God. If you confess Jesus Christ as your king, you belong to God as your father. The Bible uses all kinds of powerful ways of describing this, but in the letter of 1 Peter, uh, the first verses, the apostle Peter writes to a group of Christians and he calls them elect exiles. What does this mean? It's a term that's found all over the Bible. It's a way of describing God's people in the world, elect exiles. Now, when it speaks of Christians being elect, it's speaking of several things all at the same time. 
One is the privilege that Christians have before God. So if you do confess Christ as your king, God chose to make you his beloved child. You were reborn through the merciful love of God, through Christ's death and resurrection on your behalf to conquer sin and to conquer death that lives in all of us. That means that you have access to God as your father, and it means that you live in a secure relationship to God. God isn't constantly changing his feelings about you. He's not. He's a good father who loves his children. He chose to make us his children, and he's committed to us. We belong to him in this way. Now, another thing that being elect speaks to is the responsibility that we have before God. Israel was God's elect people. They were chosen by God to be a light in the darkness of the world. Privileges, whatever they may be, always bring with them responsibility of some kind of stewardship and service to others. So when the Bible says we're God's chosen people, his elect people, it's not so much about the exclusion of someone else. We're God's elect and they're not. It's speaking of the privilege we have before God as his children and the responsibility that comes with it to be a light within the world's darkness. Now remember, the phrase Peter uses is that we're not only elect, but that we are elect exiles. Meaning, we are beloved children who are living far from home. And this is not by choice. Our home is with God, our Father. Christians are those who have learned or at least believed the lesson of the prodigal son, that it's better to be at home with the Father than alone in the world. Jesus is brutally honest with us about how things would be in the world, even following his death and his resurrection. In the world, you will have trouble, Jesus warned us. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We belong to God as his beloved children, as his elect exiles, called to shine the light of Jesus in the darkness of the world. And if you have believed in Christ, in his death, for your sin and his resurrection, then you belong securely to him. If you haven't believed in Christ or fully committed your life to him as king, repent today and you can have God as your father and Christ as your king. You can belong securely to God in the midst of life in this world. So the first thing this morning is that you belong to God. Second, we were made to endure trials. We're built for this. We're built to endure trials. In the reading from the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells us if we want to make a life with him, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And if we wish to save or, say, preserve our lives, we will actually lose them. But if we're willing to lose our lives in following him, we will ironically actually find our life. What Jesus is saying here is that all of us live in the world with a false sense of ourselves. This is how we're born into the world. We have been marred, misshapen by sin and our impulses are usually misdirected. This is what it means to be a human being in the brokenness of our world. 
and to become fully human again, to find our genuine self and receive our soul, we must follow Jesus on the way of courageous, self-giving love, the way of the cross and resurrection. Within a Christian view of life, trials, or the crosses that come our way, as Jesus calls them, become the path of real human flourishing. This is what Peter tells us too. For a little while, he says in verse 6 of 1 Peter chapter 1, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the final revelation of Jesus Christ. I wonder if we have really believed this for ourselves and for our church and the church as a whole, that trials really are the way that God purifies our lives and shows the trueness of our faith. Now, I'm not saying that Christians should go around seeking trials. Neither is it the case that trials automatically do a good work in our lives. Trials can just as easily make us bitter and angry. It will often do this to people. But I am saying if you wish to follow Jesus, if you wish to live in the world and not completely lose your humanity, trials will find you. And following Jesus within those trials through prayer and Christian community it will be the way that you find your true life, your true self. You and I were made to endure these trials. Whatever comes our way, whether it's joblessness, sickness, grief, the selfless work of caring for the sick, or perhaps the long-term sacrificial work of supporting the unemployed, the people of God are made for these kinds of trials. Peter says later in his letter that we, the church, are like living stones that are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Could it be that this is the moment when we show our belief that the church gathered around Jesus Christ is the truest form of community that can exist in the world? That genuine Christian faith is actually more valuable than anything that the world can offer. St. Cyprian was a church father who ministered during a plague in the 200s AD. The plague was actually named after St. Cyprian, the plague of Cyprian, because much of what we know about it comes from his own writings. At its height, this plague killed about 5,000 people a day in the city of Rome alone. Cyprian said it appeared as if the world was at an end. He wrote an extended letter to Christians, those in his flock, and he called it mortality. And in it, he said this, This finally is the difference between us and the others who do not know God that they complain and murmur in adversity. While adversity does not turn us from the path of virtue and faith, but proves us in suffering. There's a debate going on right now, which is going to be the greatest loss in our country, in America. 
the loss of life in the short term or the loss to our economy and future human flourishing in the long term? I don't pretend to know the answer to this. I'm sure that you have thoughts on it. But I do want to submit to you that Christians are not to fear the suffering and trials that are required to protect life. We say this about abortion, that nothing is worth the sacrifice of a life. And we believe it here as well. The church could very well be called into a long-term season of sacrificial suffering together. Of giving toward each other and toward our community. Christ could call us to change the very nature of our lives for a long time. We might have to depend on each other in a new way. Whatever trials may come, we have to remember this. We were made for them. God has made it such that this is where we find our true life. Christians are made for these trials. We belong to God. We were made for trials. Now, lastly and quickly, we will find our souls here. We will find our souls here. Trials have a way of revealing who we are at our very depths. They function like a mirror, exposing us to ourselves, giving us a look at our inner world that is usually invisible to us, but is always visible to God. Our deepest loves, our deepest fears, our most treasured idols. Now the question in this moment is will we look at what God shows us in this mirror of our trials? Will we follow Jesus on the way of the cross and resurrection by repenting of the false gods that we as individuals, as a church, as a country have propped up in his place? Whatever the outcome of the current crisis, if we draw near to Christ, we will find our lives much deeper and much more rich because of this trial. Not by avoiding it, not by looking away, but by looking into it, by praying into it and following Christ in it. Now, St. Cyprian closes his letter on mortality in this way. If we believe in Christ, let us have faith in his words and his promises that we who are not to die forever may come in joyful security to Christ with whom we are to conquer and reign for eternity. Christians, we are made for this moment. We belong to God as his elect exiles in the world. We are made for enduring these trials so that we shine with the bright light of Christ into the darkness and death that exists in our world. And it is in these trials that we as individuals, that we as Church of the Lamb, will find our soul. That we as a community, Harrisonburg and Rockingham County, will find our souls. And if you are not entrusting your life to Christ, I want to ask you, how is it that you are going to find your soul in this moment? Will you turn to Christ? And will you trust that in Him is the only way that you will truly find your life? It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.